Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to Garden Better, the podcast from Better Homes and Gardens magazine. I'm Adam Woodhams. And I'm Jenny Dillon. We're both horticulturalists, and in each episode, we'll be dishing the dirt on all things gardening, guiding you through the season and taking a look at what's hot and what's not, and how you can keep things thriving in your own little patch of paradise. So what's coming up on today's episode? Well, Jim, we're going to look at planting bare root roses and the best tips for buying them. And we'll also be talking to Rachel from Trelaw Roses, and she'll be giving us the lowdown on everything to do with bare root roses. And we're also going to delve into the veggie patch and have a look at what you can still plant and what you need to do with the veggies that are there. And don't forget, Milton Black will be here to give us his tips for gardening by the moon. You're listening to Garden Better from Better Homes and Gardens magazine. Hey, Jenny. Hi, Adam. How are you? Fantastic. Hey, what do you reckon of roses? Well, they're beautiful, of course. Everyone loves roses. But... Yeah, I've got to admit, I, I do have a soft spot for them. I uh, did kind of grow up with a garden myself that had a few rose problems. My nan's garden was where I developed my love of gardening, and I'd be so preoccupied with things that I'd back into her rose bushes, and that uh-uh. was never a good experience as, a, as an eight-year-old. No, those thorns, but I love the thorns. I used to pick them off and um, stick them on my nose, pretend I was a witch. <laughs> I used to pretend I was a dinosaur. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Maybe you still are. <laughs> Sorry, Adam. That's all right. But you know what? Roses are having a bit of a renaissance at the moment. People are waking up to the fact that they are a fantastic garden plant and very flexible, of course. It's not just the garden. They can be grown extremely well in pots, which is a more important thing to many folks these days. Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, and one of the reasons, I think, is because the breeders are breeding all the diseases out of it. So they're so much stronger and healthier than they used to be. But growing them in pots is fantastic because roses need lots of sun. And if you've got a patch in your garden that doesn't get as much sun, stick them in a pot and put it where well, that, that's what I've found over the years as a, as a gardener myself and a consulting horticulturalist when people say they've got a problem with roses. The first question I ask is how much sun is it getting every day? And really, it needs to, during the growing season, be getting at least six hours at sun a day to hours. be doing well. Yeah, yeah. Anything yeah. less than that, and you, you will end up with some of those problems like the, the mildews and the, the uh, black spot on the leaves. And spider mite, that's the other yep. one that can happen. But most of these you don't get when you grow them in the right spot. So have you got some other tips for growing roses? What do you reckon? They're hungry. They're really, really hungry. And as you, as you, as you plant them, you've got to give them a really good feed. Another good tip about roses is they need lots and lots of water. It's really important when you're watering the roses during the hot season is that you don't water the leaves, you water the soil. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a fantastic one because that's where so many of those fungal problems come yeah. from. And it, you're right, it's really important to remember that when they're developing those flowers, those flowers are all pumped up with water. So yeah. if you're not getting your roses adequate water at the right time as those buds are developing, then you're going to end up with smaller flowers and a smaller number of flowers. And that's where one of my big ones too is to make sure you mulch your roses. And I'm, yes. a, I'm a huge fan of lucerne or pea straw um, in 
some states, they call it. But garden-grade loose and hay is fantastic on roses. Well, yeah, and it keeps the moisture in, in the soil. Mm, it doesn't evaporate. Mm. It's really great. And, of course, it, it breaks down and, and creates more organic matter for the soil. Well, that, yeah, that's one of the funny ones using loose. And people are used to where you talk about mulch and they think you're putting it on once for the year. But loose and is designed to be a fast breakdown. Mm. And by the nature of the hay, it's very rich in nitrogen, which, of course, contributes to things like leaf growth. So mm. you're actually helping to promote really quality growth. And the more Just leaves, through. the more photosynthesis, and the more exactly it grows. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> so look, roses are certainly certainly coming ahead. But and once you get those basics right, it is really pretty plain sailing. I've I'm big on sustainable gardening, as you know. Yeah. And I, in fact, and people go <gasps> draw breath when I say this, but I consider them to be a very sustainable planting because if you do plant them well and they're well established and you keep them mulched and you feed them within a regular routine with quality fertilizers that aren't leaching into the environment then they are very, very self-maintaining and you get a good return from them. And they just last so long as well. I mean, I remember when I first had my lessons on pruning roses, we went to a garden, probably about 150 years old, a beautiful old stately home that was turned into a hospital. But the roses were there. They were the original roses Mm. and they were still going really, really strong. It's, I've, I've made many visits out to Norfolk Island and there's some fantastic plants out there that literally date back to the first fleet. Wow. And there's some rose bushes out there that are just absolutely stunning with that, that really old-fashioned fragrance. Very simple flowers but beautiful. Yeah. And they have survived some of these bushes for literally, as you said, you know, 100-plus years. They're yeah. quite amazing. I think an important point too, because I mentioned chemical treatments and things before, that a lot of these problems you get on roses can now be treated with organic-based products. So yep. you don't have to rush for these old hardcore things that our grandparents used to. There's a lot of really good organic stuff out there on the market for taking care of problems on roses. But the idea is if, you, if, if you've if you got problems on roses, um, they're usually because you're not doing the right thing anyway. You should be looking out for these things like making sure that especially if you're living in, in areas where it's humid that you're pruning it correctly so that all the air circulation is, is, is accurate. Because if there's there's not enough air movement, that's when you get the fungal problems. Yes, it's exactly right. And, and that's where when you and I as horticulturists, when we go and help people out with plant or garden problems, it's often that process of elimination of saying, well, what's going wrong here? What's going right? Why is this coming about? Because the, the homeowner or the, or the new gardener will often only see the problem and they can't join the dots with yeah. what these things are. And yeah. it could be that combination of watering at the wrong time of day, not quite enough sunlight, and those things that add add up to creating fungal disorders. So never be put off by these problems is what it comes down to because often the solution is there right in front of you and it might just be a very simple thing that you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, an old gardener's secret is the fact that this is actually the best time of year to be buying roses. Yes, it is. This is the best time to plant your roses. I, in fact, but have a special a, type of roses. It's a it? special type of roses. I, in fact, have a video of this up on my YouTube channel because it's all about bare root roses at this time of year. And it's probably one of the biggest leaps of faith that new gardeners have to make because it's this plastic bag with a thorny stick out the top and it's saying hi trust me i'm going to have these beautiful flowers in spring so (laughs) unbelievable but it is it's just a stick it's like what do you what is this going to do and that's the miracle of gardening isn't it it is absolutely and look it can be a bit daunting for the uninitiated so i thought we would get some advice on this rather prickly topic of bare-rooted roses from an expert so on the line, I have Rachel Martushka from Trelaw Roses. Hello, Rachel. 
Hi, Adam and Jen. Thanks for having me. No worries at all. Hey, now look, there's some terminology that I think gets confusing, particularly for the newcomer to bare-rooted roses, is old-timers like us, I'm not saying we're old, of course, but people that have been around the garden industry for a while, we tend to call these winter roses bare-rooted roses, but then folks rock up into the the nursery or the garden centre or they buy their roses online from you guys and they're not actually bare-rooted when they arrive. Can you explain what the story is there? Okay, so bare-rooted, the term only means that there's no soil involved. They're winter-pruned roses, so they're all ready to go. They just don't have any soil around their roots. When you buy them bagged in the nursery, they still don't have any soil. They've got either peat moss or some sort of medium in the bag to keep them moist, but they're certainly not meant to be planted in that stuff. Uh You just uh, take them out of the bag You take off whatever it is that's around their roots and put them straight into a bucket of water when you get them home. They can sit there for about 24 hours um, just while you're getting yourself organised, but it gives them a nice good drink and then you put them either into a pot with potting mix or put them into the ground with the soil. Ah, okay. And I think that's a really interesting point there, making sure people remove that, what's effectively just a a moist packing material and then keep them well hydrated till they're ready to plant them. That's excellent. Thank you. Now, one thing that's always fascinated me is the roses that we're getting in those bags, those bare-rooted roses, how do trelaws actually bring them to that stage? How do they get to that stage of being ready to go? And, And what's the process of they actually physically go through to get into the bag? Okay, so yes, there is just a big process involved. They're two-year-old plants, so they start off as a cutting or rootstock, um, and that happens round about in winter time. That rootstock then is grown for about oh, six months when we then get grafters in from overseas, and they come in and they bud the roses for us. Very specialised guys, so they work very hard for what they do. Those plants are then grown on for about a year and a half before they're ready for you guys to get as bare root plants in your mail order. Wow, that it's pretty intensive, isn't it? It's not just a case of somebody sticking a cutting in the ground and out comes a rose a couple of years later. Now, what are the advantages of buying a bare-rooted rose? Um, when you buy a bare-root rose, it's really the fact that the plant has gone to sleep at the farm and when it wakes up, it's in your garden. So there's no third party involved or anything like that. It's just straight from the grower to you. Um, it's much easier to get the plants that you're after because availability is much better. Not many nurseries nowadays are actually holding roses over the growing season. Uh, Generally, it's a water issue. Um, Roses, when they're babies, do need a fair bit of water to actually get them going. Um, So you've got availability. You've also got the handiness of being able to get them delivered to your mail order fairly cheaply because there's no soil involved. You're not buying a pot with wet medium in there, which makes it really heavy and costs a lot freight-wise. So it's a lot easier to get the plants that you're after. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, that that freight thing too, that's one thing that people probably don't think about. A couple of kilos of soil obviously costs a, costs a lot more to move around than oh, a, yes. a bag that's with some more expensive. light material. <laughs> And look, I have to say, I've said this. I've said this to folks before that that when you're buying a bare-rooted rose, it is actually pretty scary for the uninitiated because you you're buying a promise. You know, we're talking about a thorny stick out the top of a plastic bag. I mean, for for people that have never bought a bare-root plant before, are they easy to plant and get growing? That's the big questions. 
Well, they are. There is a certain amount of stuff that you have to do to get that plant growing. Um, water is certainly a big issue with baby plants because you don't want it drying out at all. But basically, it's just getting your plant growing. If you cover the basic things of six hours of direct sunlight, giving them pretty good deep watering um, twice a week with your normal uh, when they're young, um, three times a week in summer, you make sure that your soil pH is 6.5. Now, a pH testing kit is pretty important for most gardeners because every plant type has a certain pH that they like. And it's good to make sure that you're giving the plant what it wants at the time and not trying to force it to adapt to what's in your garden. Good pH um, and basically water and food like any other living thing on the planet. And uh, I suppose the the big question that folks would have when they put one of these bare root roses in is can they expect flowers in the first season? Because, it's again, it's oh. as I said, it's, it's buying that promise of a stick in a bag. Yes, it is. Now, most roses will grow when the weather warms up and they'll take about eight weeks to produce their first flower. So, obviously, you're getting a baby plant. It won't be a huge flush in the first sort of couple of months, but you'll definitely get flowers. Climbers are probably the little bit of an exception to that. They do flower a little bit in their first year, but their main flower system comes off two-year-old wood, which means it's in the second season that you get the huge amount of flowers. Yep. Normal hybrid tea, floribunda, yes, you'll definitely get flowers before Christmas. Yes, the, the climbing roses can be a, a different kettle of fish with pruning and everything, can't they, because they have that two-year-old oh. two wood and... And those sort of things. Hey, now look, I've got to ask yeah. how do how does Trelaws des- decide on a good rose? I mean, what's what are your determinants for saying this is going to be a great one for our local conditions? So to us, it's the health of the plant. Um, basically, everybody's time poor nowadays. We don't want to be going out into your garden and spraying it for black spot and powdery mildew and all the other bits and pieces. You want to be able to just plant it in the garden, give it fairly good watering, and it should be able to survive by itself. So what we do is we put them into a trial bed when they come in from overseas or the varieties and we'll leave them there for about five years just to see what they're like. We don't spray them, we don't do anything to them except watering them and we have a look and see after a couple of years how that's grown. If it's good to go and the leaves are fairly healthy and the flower of course looks lovely and smells nice, then we'll release it. Oh, well, that, that's fantastic to know that so much of this is done locally too. I think folks get kind of used to things just coming in from overseas without much input, but that's great to know that the stuff that's yep. appearing in your catalogues is in fact locally tried and tested. That's really great stuff. Most definitely. And there's also the Adelaide Trial Garden. They have the National Rose Trials happening in their botanical gardens there, which you can go see. And if we think it's a really good plant, we'll go and uh, get a whole lot of experts from Adelaide to trial it out and see whether it, we they agree with us, I should say. So, yes, yeah. and that, that's great stuff. Well, Rachel Matuska from Trelaw Roses, thank you very much for your time today. That's okay, no problem. Well, after all this, I'm sure folks are champing at the bit to get their own roses. So if you want to check out the fantastic Better Homes and Gardens and Trelaw Roses offer, grab hold of the July issue of Australian Better Homes and Gardens magazine or visit bhgshop.com.au. You're listening to Garden Better. Winter has to be one of the greatest times in the veggie patch. Very underrated. And if you've got things right, Jen, then your veggie patch should be overflowing with veggies that's, right about now. That's if you've got things right, though. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's very true. I must admit our veggie garden is pretty much, well, actually it doesn't exist at the moment because we've been concentrating on renovations rather than getting the garden built. So I am missing my veggies right now. Now that's interesting that you're doing some renovating because, you know, that can be a disaster for a garden. What sort of renovations are you doing? Big ones. So lots of <laughs> cement and lime and, and funny things because, you well, know what, tradies and builders are just so rude in the garden, aren't they? Oh, they are absolutely terrible. And see, I'm owner bouldering the whole thing. And oh, that, so that, that's that, you. That, that, that's me <laughs> destroying my potential garden and it means that when I haven't been actively doing something, I've been watching the tradies massacring where I've been thinking for the last couple of years. We've been in our place for about three years. So for the last couple of years, I've been thinking, right, and over there I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And then you see somebody bring in literally an 18-wheeler truck with an onboard crane to load something off on the spot where you'd had fantasy so about beautiful soil, soil and stuff. soil is all compacted. <laughs> and then they dump sand somewhere. And then they don't dump lime for the mixing the cement somewhere else and it just really, really upsets all your it soils. Does, it does terrible things. But if you did it right, you should have a really, really good veggie garden happening now. And and it's the winter ones, the ones that they are often talked about as the superfoods too, things like broccoli and mm-hmm. kale and <gasps> kale and kale and K-A-L-E. We can't get kale. enough kale, can, can we, Jen? I can. I hate kale. It's horrible. <laughs> But I do love my greens except kale. Well, there are a lot of other nice winter veggies too. They're sort of like the big marquee names, aren't they? Because there are the classics like the winter lettuce varieties. Mm-hmm. That's folks mm-hmm. often forget that there are nice winter lettuce and many mm. of those are what are often called the cut and come again. So yes. you can, you can take a couple of leaves off. You don't, you don't pull the whole head off. You just take some outside leaves and off or some nice such, leaves. Such an efficient way to garden too as well. Oh, isn't it just? Yeah. yeah. It's, it basically means it's like the, the classic old cook's garden, the, you yes. know, that, that little, Pottager type garden somewhere near the kitchen where you could just walk out and pick a few things and go straight back into the kitchen. It's and kind go of about romantic, isn't it? I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a little fantasy, isn't it? Yeah. But the the other good ones, of course, are silver beet and mm-hmm. um, cabbage too. Cabbage mm-hmm. is, is fabulous. I, I love cabbage. The, the, the big, you know what I reckon the big problem is with a lot of things like like Brussels sprouts, broccoli, and cabbage, is that people overcook them, and oh, that's that's that the what? real thing. And like Brussels sprouts. If you take them fresh off the plant and you just lightly steam them until the the color actually gl- they go from that sort of gardeny green they suddenly go a really bright green that's just when they're luminous done. and, and green. then you it's take them straight gorgeous. off with a bit of butter in there and beautiful. you know what you can just fry them too with garlic and butter yes 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 yeah, they get that so lovely crunchy. little that lovely little bit of brownishness on the outside yeah. but the real trick with all those brassicaceous type plants is don't overcook them mm. when you've when you've um, particularly when you've freshly picked them such a waste grow but it and then you know Brussels sprouts are my favorite vegetables just to look at. I mean, it looks like Crockenbosch, doesn't it? They are truly amazing the way they grow. And, they, and I was reading somewhere, one of the best tricks is you actually start taking the bottom leaves off the yes. plant very early so that you can get all those nice little Brussels sprouts forming up the stem. Up the stem, but yeah. But the real trick is in the picking. And that's where people tend to just try and rip the, the little sprout heads off. The idea is that you need to pull them down and that stops the stem ripping. So you mm. either pull them down or use a sharp knife to cut them off. Yeah. And that way you'll keep the plant going for a lot longer. And of course, it makes sense to cut from the bottom. Yes, indeed. Yes, yeah. yes. Well, they tend to start um, getting largest and ripest first from yes. the bottom. So, yeah. yes, but it's, look, it's, if you didn't plant at the right time or if you haven't been completely looking after your, your winter veggie garden, then everything is not lost. There is still a lot of stuff you can plant now, isn't there? Mm-hmm. It's probably too late to plant kale, though, isn't it? <laughs> 
<laughs> it's never too late for kale. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> but it is it, you, you can get a lot in the ground that will keep your garden going through mm-hmm. till spring because we we think of the big seasonal planting peaks, but you can it's the best way to keep a garden productive is to continually replenish things that are growing in yeah. there. So lots of beans and peas and those sorts of things. Yeah, well it's the, the the climbing beans in particular mm-hmm. and the carrots are in everything but the cold zones. And this is what you have to be aware of. That's it's very hard in our job. Uh, I, I know in the many years when I worked on Better Homes and Gardens magazine, it was really hard talking about what you could and couldn't plant at different times of year because there's just so many variations around our country mm-hmm. because we, you know, we literally have everything from the tropical to the alpine and knowing what to put in at what time everywhere, it can be can be very difficult. So mm-hmm. always, always talk to your local nursery, your local garden centre, ask a horticulturalist if in doubt. But I found the rule of thumb is tends to be that if it's on the racks in the nursery, it's then it's okay for planting at yeah. that time and, yeah. and look for the fresh stuff that's just come in. And look, I just noticed something last night, which I think is really important, is if you're putting in little seedlings now at the moment, a good idea would be to cover them with a cloche or netting. Possums are out. The, the possums and well, they're hungry. I know they they poor things. They do get hungry at this time of year because there's not a lot of good pickings no. around. Everything's no. a bit a bit hard and, and crusty. And you put these beautiful succulent little seedlings down, oh, and of go course for the it. possums yes. <laughs> in like Flynn. Yep, they will. Now you can, of course, still be putting cabbage in if you did miss your cabbage before, particularly in the warmer zones. Uh, let us make sure you do use some of those cool season varieties that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, the dwarf peas, but not the climbers yet. The climbers, you have to wait a little while before yes. you can put those in. And this, one of my favourites all round is the English spinach, the true spinach. Yeah. And a lot of people these days seem to think of silverbeet as being spinach, but it's it's not. No, the the it's true not. spinach is that English spinach, and mm-hmm. it will only grow in the cooler times of the year. So now's the time that you can actually be getting it on the ground. And it's much much tastier than silverbeet too, I think. Oh, absolutely! It's got a it's got a rich butteriness to yes. it, a totally different sort of taste. I'll tell you a funny anecdote, and this is giving away my my age, that um, back in the Neanderthal era when I was working in garden centres, um, it used to be easy when it came to seeds if you were looking for the veggies to plant at the time of year because the seed merchants would actually send their people out and do seasonal turnovers. So the only seeds on the rack would be the seeds that were appropriate for planting at that time of year. And it made it very easy for, for customers and also for us, us non-horticulturalists who were still learning our trade at that stage to be able and to And they don't say, do that anymore. That sounds like such a great idea. No, I know. They, now, well, it's, it's, I guess it's a staffing and distribution thing, isn't it? So yeah. now you'll find the racks are basically everything they it's, offer is is yep. there on that seed rack yep. rather than just the seasonal things. So, uh, but like I said, always talk to a horticulturalist if in doubt. There's some great people in your local nursery that can help you pick the right veggies, not just for the time of year, but for your home in particular and yep. the aspect you have. Yeah, absolutely, and your climate. Gardening by the Moon with Milton Black. Hello, Milton. Welcome back. Oh, hi, Jenny, and uh, what a great...
couple of weeks we've got ahead of us for gardening. I mean, the moon is just looking absolutely beautiful. And, of course, you've got to remember, too, gardeners, that, uh, you know, the days are getting shorter and colder. Plant growth is going to be much slower, so you need that little bit of sun. And uh, you can sharpen up the old secateurs and get ready to have some fun with those, too. And this, this month is very, very good for planting deciduous trees, shrubs and climbing plants, too. And that can include your roses and your hydrangeas and your lilies and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. On the 10th, Monday the 10th, that's the first quarter of the moon. So we don't do any gardening that day. You get everything ready. Get your seeds ready. Get your plants. Get your bare-rooted trees. Everything that you want to plant for the week, get it ready on Monday. And then off you go when the moon moves into Libra on Tuesday the 11th and 12th. That's the semi-fertile sign. So any above-ground crops, that you want to put in the garden too. So that's uh, your your lettuce, your rhubarb, your asparagus crowns, anything that grows above the ground. And of course, don't forget the berries and fruits, you know, the currants and raspberries and Mm -hmm. strawberries. This is the best time you could put them in. So um, the period of Tuesday and Wednesday is excellent. And then it continues through to the 13th and 14th when the moon actually moves into the big fertile sign of Scorpio. So you've really got from the 11th to the 14th, so that's Tuesday to Friday, to do all your above ground uh, shrubs, your vegetables, your flowers, anything that you want to put in. Now, of course, on Saturday, the moon enters into the uh, non fertile signs of Sagittarius, and it's also there on Sunday as well. But what I'd suggest is do all your transplanting there. So if you've got a shrub or you've got a tree that you uh, feel is in the wrong place around the house, dig it up and uh, replant it there on the 15th and 16th over the weekend. But don't plant any vegetables on those two days. I mean, you can, but you're not going to really get the good growth because it's a non-fertile sign get ready to sort of uh, put in uh, your bare-rooted trees also for the period of the 18th through to the 19th as well. Now, of course, there's the full moon on the 17th, and you don't plant anything on the full moon. You can get out there and bark at the moon if you like, Jen. <laughs> that's just that's fine. But, no, but, I let uh, my dog no, bark at the moon, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> but, but, but no, no planting. You can um, sort of have a look and see what you want to do for the 18th and the 19th. The moon actually enters into Capricorn on those two days, and that's a semi-fertile sign. Now, what we do after the full moon, because the moon's going down now, that's when you plant your below-the-ground crops. Mm -hmm. So that's you can get your seed potatoes there and start planting if you want to. Anything that grows radishes, uh, anything under the ground, onions, so that's the the two days there. And excellent days also for your bare-rooted trees also, if you want to put those in. And then on the 20th and 21st, the moon is in Aquarius. It's a, a non-sort of fertile time, so you can do a little bit of watering, a little bit of weeding and things like that. Because on the 23rd, that's where the moon moves into Pisces, which is a very fertile sign. So on the 22nd and the 23rd, good transplanting days and also excellent for below-the-ground crops. So that's where you can put in your potatoes, your radishes, or anything that grows, your onions, anything that grows under the ground. 
And, of course, don't forget, on the 11th to the um, 15th, or 11th to the 14th in particular, excellent for your cabbages and collies and things. And if you've got a glass house, put your lettuce in there as well. Now, I've got a little tip for you too, Jen. Oh, that's good. Uh, do you know the little secret on how to reduce sprouting time for seeds out of a packet before you plant them in your garden bed? No, tell me. Well, people usually get their garden seeds in the packet and they spread it out in the garden. Well, I'll give you a little tip. First of all, you boil the kettle and you make two cups of tea and you sit on your balcony and you have two black <laughs> cups of tea, one for yourself where you can put your sugar and milk in if you want to, and you have the other black one sitting there and you let that one get cool and then you put the seeds of the packet into the cup of tea and you leave it in there for three days and you'll find that the seeds will soak up the, the, the tea over that three-day period and they'll start sprouting. You can take them out after about three or four days and start planting them in your garden and you'll get a fast growth that way. And, of course, you'll upset your neighbours because they put their seeds oh, right. in at the same time as you and yours has gone bananas, you're saying. But the best thing to do is try and put the seeds in, of course, on the fertile days. Can I do Let it with tea. coffee as well? No, no, no. They no. don't like coffee no. for some reason. But, uh, <laughs> but they, do, they do like tea and, uh, and it's got to be cold. And, of course, the beautiful thing, too, if you want to put some something really nice into the ground for the summer, like a feature tree, like a glycidia sunburst, you know, mm -hmm. they make a magnificent specimen tree and they come out with this nice golden frond-like foliage and mm, grows very quickly, too. Mm. So, so they look good, too. Good time to plant them over the next two weeks. Okay. Fantastic. Thanks, Milton. We'll talk okay. to you soon. You're welcome. Well, that was a great episode, don't you think, Jenny? Yes, I do. And we'll be back in two weeks with more Garden Chat. But in the meantime, Adam, where can people find you? Oh, the best way is to just search me up on YouTube. Put Adam Woodhams into YouTube and I'll pop up. Not the guy that does the fast fours and rotaries. I'm the guy that does gardening and landscape and all sorts of DIY stuff. Fantastic. And if they want more garden inspiration before the next episode, follow us on Instagram at VHGAUS. If you enjoyed this episode of Garden Better, please take a moment to rate and review the show. It's the best way to help other garden lovers find us. Thanks, Jenny. See you next time. Sure. See you then. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 